As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us with all power according to Christ's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And hear our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. It's on page 1064 of most of our pew Bibles between the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning. We've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And so Mark 1, verse 21, and we'll read through verse 34. So Mark 1, beginning our reading at verse 21, reading through verse 34. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, I'll begin with a guarantee for this service. It's not going to be as interesting as that synagogue service uh, that Mark records in chapter 1. I hate to disappoint you right out of the gate. Uh, But that synagogue service was one of the most interesting uh, to ever take place, one of the most interesting church services anyone had attended. Um, And it was a wonderful picture of what the Lord has done. Mark records uh, the events essentially of one day, one Sabbath day. Um, And that's why we want to call our sermon this morning, Sabbath Glories. Um, All of this happens on the Sabbath and then the evening following the Sabbath when they bring people to Jesus. But it's a wonderful picture of what the Sabbath is meant to show the people of God. uh, To promise a rest that's coming. 
Uh, Hebrews, in Hebrews 4.9 we read, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We sometimes refer to that Sabbath as the eternal Sabbath. Uh, when God's people will enter into that rest, it's an essential and wonderful part of the kingdom of God as we think about it. Remember last week when we talked about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, we said that what the kingdom of God really is, properly speaking, is the consummated glory of God come with the return of Jesus Christ. And part of that consummate glory is the rest into which God's people will enter. Um, And one of the wonderful things as Jesus comes bringing news of the kingdom of God and bringing the power of that age to come to bear on this present evil age, we'll see something of that eternal Sabbath breaking in on on this particular Sabbath day. On this particular Sabbath day that Mark records for us. The powers of the age to come, the powers of the kingdom of God, the power of that eternal Sabbath is brought to bear in this day in wonderful ways. And we get glimpses of that eternal Sabbath that awaits the people of God in all of its glory. That's what we want to think about, is how Jesus brings us glimpses of that eternal Sabbath, brings the kingdom of God to bear on this particular Sabbath day that Mark records, and think about what we see here. What do we see as we get glimpses of the glory that awaits the people of God? We see Jesus coming with authority. We see Jesus cleansing from Satan's evil. And we see Jesus curing from, God, from sin's misery. He comes with God's authority. He cleanses from Satan's evil. And he cures from sin's misery. That's what we want to think about as we think about this passage this morning. First we see Jesus coming with God's authority. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus and his four disciples go together Capernaum to Capernaum, and Jesus enters into the synagogue there and begins to teach. Uh, Capernaum at that time was a significant town by the Sea of Galilee with a population around 10,000 people. So the synagogue was likely a large synagogue, If you go to Capernaum today, you can still see the foundations of that synagogue where Jesus taught. Uh, There's a new synagogue there that he didn't teach in, but you can see the the foundations of where he would have taught. Um, And it was a rather large congregation because it was a rather large town. And you didn't just come into the synagogue when you felt like it to teach. You had to be invited by its leaders. So apparently they're somewhat familiar with Jesus teaching. They have heard it, they've heard about it, they respect him enough to invite him to come and to teach in the synagogue. And so they gathered together, much like we do, on a, they gathered on Saturday, unlike we gather on Sunday, but they would gather in and hear someone teach. Um, but when they gather together and hear Jesus teach, something remarkable happens. They are all astonished at what he has to say. That's what verse 22 records for us. Jesus comes and teaches. Now Mark doesn't tell us what he teaches. We don't know what he said exactly. All Mark has told us is his general message that he preached. What was typical of his preaching was to preach the gospel of God. And to say that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so it's some form of that that Jesus is preaching. I'm sure that's not all Jesus said. But Mark doesn't tell us what all he said, but he tells us the reaction to what he said. 
that the people are astonished. Now, that word in Greek means to be so amazed as to be practically overwhelmed. Uh, literally means to breathe out. So kind of the image is, leaves you gasping for air. You're so astonished at what you hear. It's unlike anything they've ever heard sitting in the synagogue. Um, it's, it's almost knocked the wind out of them. And it carries with it not just this sense of shock, um, but this sense of real alarm. It's not just sort of shocking what he says, it's unsettling. Um, it leaves you unable to let it go. And why are they so astonished and unsettled by what he says? Again, Mark doesn't tell us what exactly he says. He tells us how they react and what they say it's not like. You know, it's, it's not like the usual thing we get. Um, now, this is sort of hard on preachers to think about, but, you know, this is not the usual preacher we hear. The guy who gets up and who talks about the Bible and then shares with us about what the rabbis have said and we, we debate about what, what it might mean. This is a guy who stands up and speaks with authority. And what are they really saying when they say, you know, he doesn't teach like a scribe. He teaches like someone with authority. You know, scribes would read a passage of the word and then scribes would say, now this is historically how the rabbis have interpreted this word. And so it would be very much, they would look to the word and then they would try to interpret the word. How is Jesus present? How does it differ that he's speaking with authority? What they're essentially saying here is this. Jesus doesn't speak like a scribe. Jesus speaks like a prophet. He doesn't come reading the scripture and then explaining the scripture to us. What he comes is speaking scripture. He comes and says, thus says the Lord. And when he says it, you believe it. You believe that here is someone who comes with a commission from heaven. With the authority of God on high. That when he speaks, he's speaking for God and he's leaving you with no choice but to listen to what God has to say. That's what makes his message different. That's what makes his message disturbing. Because you can't just say, well, that's what the rabbis said. And that's an interesting little discourse on that passage of scripture. No, what he says is you have to listen. And assuming he comes with that same basic message, people of God, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The, the great judgment, the great upheaval of the world is coming. And there's only one way to be ready for it. That's through repentance and faith in the gospel of God. You must repent and believe. You can imagine how that comes with a different sort of force from the mouth of Jesus. And it leaves the people there thinking there's no alternative but to listen. That he's really telling us if we don't repent and believe we'll be consumed in the judgment to come. That's what he's leaving them with. This impression there's an eternal decision that has to be made. That it has to be made now. 
that you can't just put this behind you and go, go back to your Saturday meal and just go on with life as usual. You have to respond to this message. It leaves everyone there, there feeling like they cannot remain undecided. Will I be the person who repents and believes and enters into that eternal Sabbath rest that God has prepared for his people? Or will I be among those who refuse to submit to the king and are consumed in that judgment when the king comes? It forces a choice. It leaves someone feeling as if you have to listen to the voice of the Lord or face the consequences. That's what Jesus brings with this new message. It's different, it's astonishing, it's authoritative, it's unsettling. Because it makes you feel as if I can't leave here and just not give Jesus an answer. That I can't leave here and just not do what Jesus is telling me to do. And of course, that's still the burden of Christ's church today. We come with God's authority, not speaking, saying, thus says the Lord with all the authority that Jesus has. But Jesus sends us with his authority and says, when you preach my word, you go with my authority. And what still the church wants to do in the world is to preach that message of eternal importance. And we know that in our weakness, we do not always astonish with our preaching. But what we do want to do is present that message of eternal importance, that message of salvation through faith in the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That need that we all have to repent and return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That we might serve him in grateful obedience. And it comes with that same eternal importance because Just as today is the day of salvation, tomorrow might be too late. It won't permit a waiting. It won't permit us to leave and think, well, I'll decide what I'll do with Jesus' word later. He's still pressing us for a decision today. Because today is the day of salvation, and Jesus is coming again soon in glory. And how will he find you when he comes? As those who've repented and believed in him, who've trusted in him for salvation, and it will greet him with joy at his coming, or it'll be a great day. The day we've been hoping for and praying for and waiting for. Or will it be a great and terrible day? Where people will ask the earth to open and swallow them and the mountains to fall on them and cover them because they're not ready for the kingdom to come. This is the kind of urgency with which The gospel came in Jesus' day. And it's the same kind of urgency he wants us to press home today. Not so that we would be scared, but so that we might be saved. Um, So that we might be saved by turning to God before it's too late. That's how Jesus comes with authority and preaches a different kind of thing than they'd ever heard before. And as if to confirm that this is a different kind of thing, a a message of eternal importance, a message of of real seriousness, there is this scene with the demon-possessed man who's in their midst. Because Jesus doesn't just come 
with God's authority, Jesus also cleanses from Satan's evil. As this message is pressed home, it causes a reaction in the church. And it's a totally frightening reaction. Um, We're told that everything this demon speaks, it's really the demon speaking through this poor demon-possessed person. Uh, Mark uses the words unclean and demon sort of interchangeably. This unclean spirit that's taken possession of this man. It's really the spirit that is speaking through him. And the spirit suddenly shrieks out in the middle of the service. That's why I said this. There's no way we're going to be as interesting today. Um, not just because of the nature of the sermon, but because of the reaction. There's a, there's a demon-possessed man there, and, this, and the demon just shouts out in the middle. Um, I thought about trying to shout it out as I read it, but then I thought I'm just going to either just be lame or it's going to scare people. It's just not going to work. Um, but that's what ha- Everything the demon says is shouted at Jesus. He cries out. Um, and so as we read it, we have to hear it that way with him shouting. And he's shouting in absolute fear and terror. Because what does that message of judgment mean for him? What is the reality for him if the kingdom of heaven is at hand? If the time is fulfilled? If the king is truly come into the world? It means destruction for him. Not only for him, but for all of his kind. Right? What are the, de- what are the words he shrieks out in terror? What have you to do with us? Um, this is an Old Testament formula that comes up when you see people who are about to come under judgment or who are about to enter into combat. What have you to do with us? And whenever, you, whenever it's spoken by someone who expects to be the one attacked, what it really means is, go away and leave me alone. And what the demon is shouting out all of a sudden is, I'm about to be attacked. And it's through this desperate plea to ward off the Lord. This desperate plea, go away and leave us alone. Have you come to destroy us? That's a, that's a fearfully asked rhetorical question. He might as well have said, you have come to destroy us, haven't you? You see the fear with which this is spoken. He knows what this means. He knows what the coming of the kingdom means for him and all who are like him. You've come to destroy us all. There's only one demon here, but he's speaking for all of them. If if you're here, we're done. We're done for. That's the terror with which he speaks. He sees clearly what the coming of Jesus means. The commentator said, Christ's presence was understood by the demon as spelling defeat and destruction for the world of evil. Everything is about to be changed. Jesus is the superior supernatural power that's come into the world. That power against which the kingdom of of Satan cannot stand. 
Right? Satan couldn't go to war against one of God's lieutenants. Michael and his angels were enough to throw the devil and his hosts out of heaven. But what, is the, what are the devils going to do when the commander of the Lord's army comes? When the white rider rides forth that we see in Revelation, what will the devils do then? That's probably the most desperate cry that he cries out as the end. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon understands that Jesus is the one who is coming, the Holy One who is coming, who is the Messiah, who bears the Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone the kingdom of, of Satan fears, it's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Like how one commentator put it, between the Holy Spirit and an unclean spirit, there exists a deadly antithesis that the demons know. And James says it makes them shudder. This is a power against which they cannot contend. And imagine being there and hearing just this terrified shrieking. And what does Jesus do in response? He just speaks a word of power. It's the equivalent of shut up and come out of him. It's just a simple word of command. This too would have been unlike anything these people had ever seen before. There were exorcists who were around in Jesus' day. And the exorcists all operated the same way. It was a big dog and pony show. You would come and say, I come in the name of this person or of this deity. And I have the magic magic incantation that allows me to cast out spirits and you would start with your magic spells and your your carrying on and this would have all the the ways to drive out demons and people would be very impressed Jesus doesn't do any of that there's just his word of power as someone said there was no technique no spells no incantation no symbolic act there's only the word That's why when John sees Jesus coming in glory in Revelation, what he sees is a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Um, And and what is John seeing there? What, What is that picture meant to convey to us? The Lord needs no weapon but his word to destroy his enemies. His word is enough. And even though the, the man convulses and cries out, The demon convulses the man and cries out as he comes out of him. It's showing his sort of ineffectual attempt to resist the word of Christ. But he comes out and he shuts up. And if the people in the church were not scared before, they're scared now. Okay, now what's going on? Right? They begin discussing this. This is, what is this? Right? This is a new teaching where we heard it, we thought, we've got to obey this. But even the devils, when they hear him, they have to obey him. What is this? What's going on? Um, they're even more astonished and alarmed. It's a cause for great discussion. And this causes the news of Jesus to go viral in the town. Right? Verse 28 tells us his fame went everywhere. At once his fame, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding 
region of Galilee. What is Mark conveying to us by this picture? It's another powerful message about the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. The temptation for 40 days in the wilderness prepared us for this, that his life is going to be one of conflict with the kingdom of the devil. But what does this passage tell us? It's not just that it's a life of conflict, but it's a reassurance that he comes not just to fight with it, but to destroy it. To fight with it and to triumph over it. Uh, To be the one who destroys the devil and his kingdom. The devils understand what he's come to do. Death and destruction to the rebels against the kingdom. And life and restoration to his beloved people. Mark is telling us in that moment the demons understood what was, uh, what was at stake. He wants to make sure that we understand what's at stake. But it also gives us a glimpse of the eternal rest that awaits the people of God. Because how is the heavenly city of Jerusalem described in Revelation 21-27? Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a time coming when no unclean thing will be allowed to trouble God's people anymore. A new kingdom coming, where the only things in it are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who've repented and believed in the gospel of God. It's a picture of the rest that waits us. The glories of that kingdom. And it will be glorious like that because the king will have hunted evil out of the world until he finds none of it. Until he's destroyed all of it. That's the glory of what Christ has come to do. To cleanse from Satan's evil. And the final glimpse of glory we get is when he cures sin's misery. He begins with Peter's mother-in-law and then extends that to the whole city. Just as Jesus performs one act of exorcism and then many exorcisms from the people are brought to him, so he performs one act of healing before he performs many acts of healing. We're told that after he goes to the synagogue in Capernaum to teach, he goes from there to Peter's house, Simon and Andrew's house. Um, It's likely that that's where he stayed while he was in Capernaum with them. Um, And when he goes into the house, what is he told by the disciples? They come to him saying that Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Now we don't know how severe this disease is. Fevers are sort of thought of as independent diseases in the Bible, and they can be deadly in the Bible. We don't know how sick she is, but they bring word to Jesus that she's sick. Um, And again, we don't know exactly what they expect Jesus to do either. Mark doesn't tell us if they were just bringing this as news to him. Um, You know, hey, we're going to have to make sandwiches for ourselves because mom is sick in bed. You know, we don't know how this kind of came to him on on Sunday, but all he does is he goes in, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her out of bed, and she's well. Um, She's completely well. Well enough that she begins serving them. Um, now we might read that and say, can't you give mom a break? You know, she's just been sick. 
Um, does she really have to now, you know, go back to the kitchen right away? Um, but one of the things I think Mark is trying to communicate by this is she was so well, she was completely and utterly recovered. She was in perfect health. Not feeling like I've just been sick, but in perfect health. I think Mark is bearing witness to the power of Christ's healing by the fact that she went to serve them. Um, I also suspect that if you spoke to Peter's mother-in-law, she would say, do you think I'm not going to serve the Lord who's just raised me up? You just try to stop me. I think this is also a mark of her gratitude for what the Lord has done for her. Why does Mark begin here? Why does the healing ministry of Jesus begin in the home of Peter? It's a reminder to us, to us of the cost that Peter has to pay in following Jesus. Peter has a house. He has a household that he's responsible for. And leaving them to follow Jesus, clearly he's not abandoned his home, right? He's not abandoning his family to follow Jesus, but it is going to mean he's not going to be there to provide for them the way he's been used to. He and his brother are going to be gone serving the Lord. There's a cost that Peter, that Simon and Andrew have paid in following Jesus. I think that's the reason blessing first comes to their house. That healing first comes to their home. That Jesus blesses them with this first act of healing recorded in Mark's gospel. Like what someone said, the healing accomplished within Peter's home indicates that salvation had come to his house in response to the radical obedience he had manifested. We're being reminded here right at the beginning that the nature of Christ's kingdom is that those who bear his cross will wear his crown. And whatever cost we have to pay to bear the cross will be worth it. It will pay when we wear the crown. No one has ever gone into the kingdom of God and say the cost was too high. I shouldn't have paid it. Um, they'll always say the cross was worth the crown. I think often of J.C. Ryle saying if we thought more about the crown, um, we'd think less about the cross. And certainly when we get to heaven and are wearing the crown, we'll say, I can't believe I spent so much time worrying about the cross. It pays to follow the Lord. It pays to follow the Lord in blessing. And that this is part of Jesus' mission that Peter's being allowed to participate in. Jesus coming to cure all of sin's misery out of the world. Sickness is one of those miseries that sin has brought into the world. Demon possession is one of those miseries that sin brought into the world. If there was no sin in the world, these things wouldn't be in the world. And as Jesus' fame spreads abroad, what happens? On, as, the sun, as the sun goes down and the Sabbath is officially over, people begin carrying the sick to Jesus, carrying the demon-possessed to Jesus. And Mark wants us to, to see the, the vastness of what happens. He says, it was as if the whole city was there, coming to the door, bringing everybody who's sick, everybody who's demon-possessed, everybody who's hurting. They bring them all to Jesus. And he healed them all. 
We shouldn't take marks. You know, all the city was there and he healed many of them as if Jesus was picking through the people and healing some of, the, some of them. What Mark wants us to understand is all these people came to him and of all of those people that came, it was many people that were healed of various kinds of diseases, Mark says. But everybody who was carried to Jesus was healed. And every demon-possessed person who was brought to Jesus found relief. He drove the demons out. Mark tells us, and this time he drove them out and didn't even permit them to say anything. So that they would not be bearing witness to who he is. It's a glorious picture, isn't it? Sometimes I see this and wish that could happen today. That we could carry people to Jesus and find them healed. But what does Mark want us to, to what, what does Mark want to convey to us? It's two things. Who was healed? Who was made well here? Everyone who was brought to the Lord. Everyone who was brought to the Lord was made well. The disciples brought Peter's mother-in-law to the attention of Jesus and she was healed. People carried their sick, carried their demon-possessed to Jesus and they were healed. What is the picture there? Everyone who's brought to Jesus is healed. And what are the disciples learning about their mission as fishers of men in the world? Your job is to bring people to Jesus. Your job is just to carry people to Jesus so that he might heal them. So that he might make them live. And that's still what we want to do today, isn't it? What do we want to do as a church? We just want to bring people to Jesus. And how can we do that? Two simple ways. We're closing. Just two simple ways we can do that. We can pray. Prayer is the best way for us to bring the world to Jesus. Um, that's the best thing we can do for this world. When you're watching the news and it's, and it's awful and you don't know what to do or where to turn, turn off the news and pray. Pray for the things that are worrying you. That is the best way to take the world to Jesus. Another good way to take the world to Jesus is to invite people to church. We sometimes work a lot on evangelism and how do we talk to people about the things of the Lord. Just bring them to Jesus. Right? He'll, he speaks. Talks to us here. Presents us a visible word in the Lord's Supper. Bring them to Jesus. This is how many have been healed and have found life. That's still the burden of the church that we might see that glory of the eternal Sabbath as people come to Jesus and are made well. hope that you, by God's grace, have gotten a glimpse of the eternal Sabbath today in Mark's gospel and seen something of the Sabbath glories of our King. And I hope that everyone here repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus Christ for their salvation so that we'll enter together into that glorious Sabbath rest that Christ promises us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for these glimpses of Sabbath glory that you've allowed us to 
see in our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you for Mark's gospel and the glories that it proclaims to us. We thank you that Jesus came into the world with your authority to speak truth in a way no one had spoken it before. That The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. That he came to cleanse this world of Satan's evil and to cure the world of sin's misery. How thankful we are for his work and for his ministry. Help us all to repent of our sins and believe in his name and have life in him.